All right, welcome to episode number five of the Out of Bounds podcast. Josh Durso, Nate Sharman here inside the FingerLakes1.com studio. We have a winner. That's right, Nate Sharman. He picked the winner of the St. Jude uh, this past weekend, Will Zelatoris. Awesome work on finally giving us a little bit of credibility here with our picks. I haven't helped at all, but you uh, single-handedly brought us back into the mix this past weekend. I, yeah, Josh, I appreciate that. After I dragged you through the mud, after picking Tony Finau to be the most overrated golfer that week, and he goes out and wins it. So uh, rather be lucky than good, I always say. So pretty cool to see Will Z uh, jump into the winner's circle. Uh, we'll talk a little, about, a little bit more about that later. I think we got a pretty good story here brewing with uh, Cameron Smith withdrawing this week from the BMW Championship and citing some hip discomfort. So let's get into that. Hip discomfort. Um, it's interesting, right? Because we haven't heard a ton about that up until, uh, obviously yesterday when he, uh, there were no signs over the week. Let me start with that. There were no signs over the weekend that he was playing injured or that he was having any kind of issue. Um, but this does appear to be, at least according to his team, uh, an issue with his sciatic nerve, uh, some inflammation. Apparently it flares up when he plays, uh, softer courses, when he plays courses that have softer fairways, or at least that's what he's saying. Um, and it does, that sort of checks out. It rained like crazy last week. The course was definitely softer on the softer side. Um, it's interesting to me because this, uh, this could be enough to take him out of contention at Eastlake if he's, if he's still obviously concerned about winning, uh, the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, he probably will only fall to about fourth. Uh, in the the FedEx Cup standings, but you know that's probably going to be four to five strokes out. Um, and assuming you know things stay as they are, uh, you assume Scotty Scheffler and Will Zalatoris uh, will both be playing good golf or, or you know good enough golf where you know Cam Smith would have to at that point really come come back from from quite a way. Yeah, and it just kind of sparks the live golf debate again. You know, with him withdrawing like that, you know, it broke on the news on Monday morning-ish. Uh, PGA Tour Communications tweeted it out. Um, and it really sparked the live golf debate. You know, that's everybody in the replies is saying, like, going to live, going to live, going to live. And I think that's an interesting debate. I don't think that's quite true yet. Well, he's going to wait another week or wait another two weeks, rather, play it and now withdraw from the BMW Championship. And like you said, Josh, probably be about five or six strokes back in Eastlake, which is very attainable, seeing as we've seen Cameron Smith make four, five, six birdies in a row. So he could certainly get there. Um, it's just interesting to see the timing of it. I, of course, hip discomfort, you would generally think a guy would play through that in the playoffs. Obviously, it's very, um, I would assume it's very tough to play through. But just with the magnitude of what time we're in, um, it's just interesting to think about with the Live Tour debate going on, with the PGA Tour meeting that's happening too short, uh, shortly. Um, kind of what's going on with Cameron Smith and kind of where he's at. Maybe he can just, maybe it really is just an injury and he just needs a week to rehab and to get back into golfing shape and play next week at Eastlake. So I'm interested to see what kind of happens throughout that. He, his team has said that this has been an ongoing issue. Um, obviously, he isn't a guy who, who talks a, a heck of a lot and, and doesn't really shed a ton of light um, on the kind of behind the scenes stuff during press conferences. So it would, in my mind, that part of it checks out. I don't think we would have heard about this ongoing hip issue if he's had an ongoing hip issue this year or the year before, whatever the case may be. Um, but I think the other the other side of that debate, um, if it wasn't live related, it was potentially about this uh, penalty 
that uh, that he was hit with essentially Sunday morning after the, the round had been played on Saturday, third round. Um, talk to us a little bit about what that looked like and how that came to be. Yeah, so it occurred on the fourth hole on Saturday. Uh, he hit his uh, original shot into the hazard area by the green. Um, there we have it on the screen there. He dropped um, right there on the hill, and the ball was barely touching. If you look really closely, it's very, very barely touching that red hazard line, and you're not allowed to play the ball after you drop it off the hazard line. That's a penalty. Um, the PGA Tour cites why they didn't give the penalty originally at the time is they believed that the golfer Cameron Smith knew that rule and knew that he couldn't do that. Cameron Smith says that he d didn't know that rule. So I guess that kind of sparks a debate of, you know, are we being a little too ticky-tacky here? Are rules rules? Um, I just kind of wondered, Josh, what you think about that in terms of, you know, what maybe or is it? Why are we doing this? Why are we looking into this? Or and does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? I, I, in the grand scheme of things, I think the the rule should be the rule. But this is another really great example of some rules shouldn't be rules, and this is definitely one of those in my mind. Um, you know, the PGA Tour I think has this now chronic issue where over the last, I will call it five years, um, it seems like couple three times a year. There's an example of somebody being assessed a penalty hours after or a few holes later or a day later uh, because we have the ability of looking at camera footage and TV and you've got a million angles and 4K, 8K and, and zoom in and you can see that the ball was just barely touching the line. It's all silly. It's all stuff to the general golf fan that's a turnoff. It's it, the average golf fan does not care, right. and the PGA Tour is a mass-consumed product. It would kind of be like changing balls and strikes after the game is over, mm. and I understand the competition is not complete until Sunday on 18 when the final putt goes in the hole, but these individual rounds are also individual competitions. So that's why it feels in a lot of way, to me at least, um, and I've played golf my entire life, it feels a lot like going back and changing balls and strikes after the game is over, after the, the, the matches has ended, we're going back and further evaluation, we're going to assess someone a two-stroke penalty. It just changes things. And, I, you know, do I think that contributed to Cam Smith's decision to sit out this week? Do I think it contributes to him uh, leaving the PGA Tour if he's going to leave the PGA Tour and join Live, like the reports suggest after the FedEx Cup playoffs? I don't know, and I don't think so. That would be my my answer there. But it's incredibly annoying, and I think probably from the player's perspective, if they're getting hit with a penalty a day after, hours after, or even holes after something happens. Remember, there's rules officials right. in every group. You know, they, they, in theory, should be positioning themselves. And I, I don't remember the context of that particular group on that particular day. But I'm going to assume that he may have been the only person who was in hazard trouble. So would the official who's following that group or nearest to that group not be putting themselves in position so that the situation can be rectified and identified immediately and not languish for, you know, hours before finding 
out that there was a penalty there. It, yeah. it, that part of it is just insane to me. I agree 100%, Josh. They didn't assess the penalty until he was on the practice screen <laughs> before teeing off. I mean, to show that they weren't sure, they didn't move around the groups. They gave him a two-stroke penalty. He started the day at nine under. They didn't rearrange the Sunday pairings. That goes to show how close to the start of the day they made that decision that morning at, uh, at the PGA Tour headquarters. So it's just it's very interesting to see. And But I like you said, Josh, I don't think it changes much for him to play this week. I still think, you know, I think he's really hurting himself by not playing. He's, there's so many FedEx Cup points available to not oh, play. Yeah. So I think it really was a decision that really with his body that he was not able to go this week. Yeah. Um, but all that aside, it was an awesome weekend. It was amazing. Um, huge weekend for Will Zalatoris, obviously. Uh, talk us through a little bit of how Sunday unfolded and, and what exactly happened in the playoff. Yeah, absolutely wild Sunday in Memphis. Um, Will Zalatoris knocked in, like I think I believe it was like a 12-footer on 18 uh, to make par to go into the playoff with Sepp Straka. That's an un- unreal video. He, you know, he makes that, and he knocks it in, and says, what are they going to say now? You know, kind of referencing to all the... Incredible. All the Twitter warriors out there that, that um, kind of drag him due to his putting stroke. He's got that kind of unique putting stroke, especially. So it was, it was really, really great for Will to see that kind of emotion. And so it went into the playoffs. Um, they, they tied the first two holes. And on the third playoff hole, playing a par three, uh, Will, hits his te- Will hits his shot, tees off first. And it, it takes eight bounces on the right side of the green, bounces off the grass, off the wall, off the grass, off the wall, and it settles in between this area, this like little kind of dirt area in between the stone wall and the grass. It's like a crevice. He found a crevice. It's, un- it's unreal. So it's, you know, we're all kind of wondering, you know, what's Will going to do with this shot? You know, is he going to take a penalty and hit it from the drop area, or is he going to try to hit it from that area? Um, which was, would be really interesting to see him hit it from that area, ended up going from the drop area. But I think that really stemmed from the fact that Sepp Straka, right after him, he also hit it in the water. Yeah. So Will said, why should I hit this shot when we can just both go to the drop area and try to get up and down? Right. Yep. So yep. they end up going to the drop area. Uh, Straka hits first. He hits it into the bunker deep of the green. Will hits it to about eight feet, knocks it in, knocks it in for bogey, wins the golf tournament. And there's the strategic side of it, and then there's just sort of the fortune side of it, which is, you know, one hole sort of emblematic of golf overall, cruel and spectacular, all wrapped in one. Um, obviously, a huge, huge win for Zalatoris probably gets him over, over the hump here, and, and he will now become a favorite in nearly every major, uh, not not just exclusively major, uh, every tournament he plays in that means something. Uh, but this also, I think, will take the focus off what you mentioned in the beginning, which is his putting stroke. Right. Um, is it a little unconventional? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, does he play quickly? More, I would say, uh, faster than most professional golfers on tour right now? Yes. Uh, but... It works, and it works for him, uh, and now we see that. So he's had one of the more impressive years. Do you feel like this kind of gets him to that next that next phase of, of his career? I think definitely. You know, and this year he had nine top tens, was knocking on the door, including two top fives in majors. So he was really knocking on the door and, and unable to kind of get over that hump. It's just so hard to win on the PGA Tour. 
And so he was finally able to do it. And I think that really kind of, for lack of a better term, unlocks him. You know, yep. he's able to kind of see, you know, this is how he went on the PGA Tour at a grand stage, too, at the FedEx St. Jude title. You know, it's a, the first playoff event. He wins, takes home $2.7 million, So it's not like it's a, a, a random event, you know, in the fall on, on the PGA Tour or anything like that. You know, this is a huge event, and Will was able to take that one home. At age of 26, I think the sky's the limit for Will. And I think he really could make his way up there with maybe maybe like a guy like Justin Thomas or even he's got a lot of time left. He could ma match the career kind of victories of Rory McIlroy even. So I think it's he's going to be really fun and a mainstay on the PGA Tour for the next 15, 20 years, if not more. And I'd argue this too, like in a playoff under those circumstances, had he not been successful, uh, I don't necessarily think it would have hurt where he was right. at all because he had so many of those close encounters over the last uh, six months to a year um, with with being right on the doorstep of, of victory on tour that I don't think another one would have necessarily hurt that much. But obviously the timing of it's incredible. And going back to that, that conversation we had about Cam Smith, what happened on Sunday is exactly what you cannot replicate on the live golf tour, if you want to call it a tour. Professional golfers don't grow up thinking about or dreaming about playing for live. They dream about playing on the tour and winning like that on Sunday with their family there and the whole nine yards. And it meaning something, not just I won a tournament and I get a check. Right. Um, and to me, this past weekend is a perfect example of what live will never be able to accomplish uh, at least not in the next, you know, five to 10 years, maybe in future generations, if Liv is around in 30 years, mm -hmm. the situation might be different, but that you're not going to get that now. So it's just an incredible, it was an incredible weekend for, for Zalatoris, obviously a good one for the tour, because he's one of those guys that I, I think in terms of uh, the, the PGA Tour folks who want to see uh, the, the tour be successful and have those big brand names, uh, Zalatoris is definitely one of those, especially when you're talking about a guy who has the potential to to be a 15 to 20 career victory guy. For sure. And just take a look at the videos after the tournament. I mean, Will Zalatoris, you know, he knocks that putt on 18. Like I said, he screams into the screams into the camera and, and up in the air and fist pumps. And, and when he won, he, had, he did a nice fist pump, too. You take a look at last season, previous season on PGA Tour when Joel Damon won his first tournament. He's crying on the crying during the interview, you know. Uh, significant others, family members run onto the green after. And then take a look at when Henrik Stenson won at Trump Bedminster. Oh. He put his hands up in the air. He's like, yeah, I won. Like, there's just there's an immense difference in between winning on the Live Tour and winning on the PGA Tour in my mind. So I think the timing of Will Zalatoris winning this week is just absolutely enormous for the PGA Tour. It is, absolutely. Can't be any bigger. Huge for him in the FedEx Cup playoffs, too. Jumps there, obviously. One, yep. In position, uh, moving forward. So when you look at the rest of the FedEx Cup playoffs, what does that? What does this mean for Zalatoris there? Look at how close it is at the top. I mean, he's got Bunch. him by not very many. Not doesn't have Scotty by very many. You go into the BMW Championship this week, a no cut event. Yep. So everyone's earning points. So it's going to be really interesting to see at that top how much they jockey for position. You know, you got the first two separated by a couple hundred points, and then you have Cameron Smith who's not playing. So there's really really primed to be some some jockeying of positioning at the top of that of that leaderboard and it's going to be really fun to watch at Wilmington Country Club this weekend yeah and I think it's you know I griped a little bit last week about how you know it, 
whoever wins that week before is the guy that's all of a sudden in control of everything. And I think that's what the PGA Tour is going for. They're trying to mimic the success of other playoff structures and other sports. Um, but, you know, good for, good on him. Good to be there. Uh, do I think he's going to be the, the leader of the pack coming into Eastlake? Probably not, but he's going to be right there. He's going to be knocking on the door. He'll be closer than Cam Smith. That's yep. for sure. That's for sure. So, yep, like I said, Wilmington Country Club this week. Um, and uh, Delaware, it's actually the first time this golf course has ever hosted a PGA Tour event. It's interesting. Which is pretty cool. Um, 7,400 yards, a par 70. And so it's going to be the top 70 in the FedEx Cup standings. No cut event, like I said. Cameron Smith not going to be involved. So he's going to have a little bit less than 70 in the field. But uh, always a lot of fun to watch, you know, these tournaments because they're like a WGC event, no cut. And it's fun to see the best golfers in the world playing against each other and, and dueling it out especially the new track we haven't seen. Absolutely. And it seems, at least from what uh, what we've gotten out of the PGA Tour on the communication side, it seems like this track might be a, a little a little tougher on the scale, so we might see some more subdued scoring this weekend. Maybe it'll feel a little more like a major, especially with uh, the smaller field and the amplified uh, uh, outcome here. Obviously, whoever, whoever wins this weekend is going to be in a great spot uh, at Eastlake. So... Um, who are you looking at this weekend as favorites? What are your expectations for, for the field of 70 or 68? I believe the actual, the technical yeah, is right. 68. So let's see field of 68. I can get another one in a row. That'd be pretty cool. Oh, huh? Two in a row? I got Morikawa this week. Ooh. Um, last week played really well with a top five. He's been in kind of weird form this year. I believe he's missed three cuts in his last five starts. Does not have a win this season. So I, some would say that he's statistically due. So I would not be not be uh, shocked if Colin Morikawa comes out with a victory this week. A hell of a time to get a win. Um, so it's interesting, and you know we're going to talk about uh, Rory McIlroy his this past weekend in a few minutes. Um, but I think Rory finishes top five, gets back in the discussion of everything. Looks like a golfer again. Uh, Will I think is going to have a good weekend. El Torres is going to have a good weekend. My picks to win. Um, I've got two that I'm watching. I think Colin Morikawa, like you mentioned, is a, a really good pick. I think on the power rank and the PGA Tour power rankings, he is actually number one this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also Matt Fitzpatrick. I think there's a guy who uh, has just been, you want to talk about hanging around. He's been piling up uh, relatively good finishes. Hasn't looked bad at any point since his, his win in the Open or at the uh, earlier this year. He's in a good spot. So there's another one. Those are my those are my two favorites to win. Um, and those would also, I'd say, be very good, uh, no matter what the outcome of, of the meeting this week uh, with the PGA uh, Tour membership to talk about the future of the tour and, and kind of rivaling uh, live. Those would be two really good wins for the tour uh, as well. Oh, yeah, I can't agree more there. Matt Fitzpatrick comes in at 12 on the FedEx Cup rankings. Just so they can look a little bit below him. How about John Rahm? We haven't heard much about him lately. No, not at all. I'd love to see him win. I love watching him play. And and there's a, another um, – it seems like we've got a lot of these golfers who will say in the top 20 in the world, they may not be dominant every week in and week out, but uh, they have the ability to play really, really good. We've seen all of these guys play stretches of incredible golf. So, uh, you know, any of any of these guys in the top 15 could, could do something. Yeah, and that would be certainly another cool story for the PGA Tour. Another, breaking into another cool story, is they gave out 24 tour cards on the Corn Ferry Tour um, last weekend. 
as over half of them were rookies, nine countries were represented. I think this is something I've talked about on previous podcasts where I think almost this part of the end of the year is almost, I don't know if I want to say cooler is the word, where guys can really light, have life-changing events um, besides the guy who win, who's win on the tour can really kind of vault themselves onto the PGA Tour where they get full status and they're able to really support their families and, and keep that dream alive of, of uh, being a PGA Tour member. Does it feel like the tour doesn't really do a great job of actually telling these stories? Because that, to me, feels like the big miss. It, it feels like you've got this opportunity and there's so much energy and there's so much focus, rightfully, rightfully so, put on the FedEx Cup playoffs. Um, but you've got this entire developmental league where uh, – it's not a niche thing anymore. Like if you if you're watching social, if you're watching what moves the needle, these stories that you're talking about move the needle as much as the the other ones do because they're more relatable to the 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 grinded out every man golfer. And it's just so interesting to me that you see an entity like the tour not kind of just missing the boat. You know, you, we're scrolling Twitter there, uh, showing the 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 shots with the cards. But there's a bigger opportunity there than just, you know, a, a quick tweet. Um, these are our young guys. They're guys that have been on the on the, the mini tours for a long time. There's there's stories to be told there, and it just it's very interesting to me that it hasn't been capitalized on yet by the tour to do something more with it. It also shows how freaking deep professional golf is. It's crazy. It's literally crazy. You know who does a, a good job uh, telling those stories, Josh? One of my favorite accounts on Twitter. Monday Q, you know, yep. Case of the Mondays, does a fantastic job, not only covering those Corn Ferry Tour guys, but even lower, you know, the Sunshine Tour, yep. uh, the Canadian Tour, the McKenzie Tour. They does a really good job kind of depicting that. So head over to Twitter and uh, give that guy a follow. He does a really nice job. I really like watching kind of his highlights out of there. Our last uh, tour-related thing to talk about is something that I just added probably 20 minutes before we came in here to do the show. Uh, what do we make of what happened to Rory McIlroy last week? Hey, do 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 we put any do we take anything away from that or are we concerned should should he be concerned he had a couple weeks off he was you know he admitted that he kind of was slow to get back into playing after that vacation does it matter that he missed the cut and didn't play at all this weekend I don't think so I think a guy like Rory you know you have him out here you know now that he took two weeks off he's probably hitting hitting a lot of golf balls every day and I would expect him to come out kind of firing on Thursday at Wilmington, and I would be shocked if we don't see him in the mix on Sunday. Yeah, streaky. I think is another, you know, saw a lot of stuff on social media this past weekend. You know, he doesn't focus well enough consistently, or he has some holes. Even even during weeks when he is in contention, he'll have a few holes where he just kind of like spaces out, it seems, and then falls out of contention. Um, you know, the vacation, not playing enough, uh, playing enough events. I talked about how he played about six events fewer than everybody else in the top ten. Uh, on average this year, he had a, he had 13 starts versus the the top 10 average of 19. Um, yeah, bad weeks happen. That's, a, that's all it is. Just bad weeks happen. Yeah, and especially for him too, he's very good at kind of brushing it off and and kind of moving on to the next week. And kind of like you were talking about earlier, how it could be a good story for the tour. Rory knows that, and he knows that if he can win, kind of similar to his almost win at the British Open, how big of a story that could be for the tour. I think that lights a fire under him too as well to play well. Another question that I saw popping up on, on Twitter a couple times uh, regarding Zell Torres. If he plays well coming down the stretch here, finds a way to win the whole thing uh, at East Lake next week, player of the year, 
Is there an argument there? I think so, yeah. I think it's going to be hard to take it away from Scotty Scheffler. Um, you would have to see Scotty kind of really humble these next two weeks. Right. For that to be taken away, I mean, four wins on the PGA Tour this year, and he's held first place in the standings all year almost. Sam Burns had it early, and now Will Zatoris has it, but he's held it most of the time and been consistently the top three golfer, maybe a top two golfer in the world all season. So I would be kind of interested to see Scotty not win that, but that would really take Scotty kind of falling down in these next two weeks and not playing well. So I think if Scotty even plays average golf, doesn't even need to win one of these events, um, and as he's able to kind of finish off the season playing well, I would I would think he would be the player of the year. But it certainly can happen if one of these guys like Rory or Zal Torres or Morikawa or one of these guys gets hot and, and rips off a couple wins here. I guess the caveat, my caveat to that would be if Scheffler looks the way he did this past weekend for the next two weeks, there might be a little more there might be a little more credence to arguing somebody else be player of the year, I think. If he plays really poorly and he doesn't really show to be even close to that form that he was in when he was in that hot streak between like basically February and like April, um, I, I wonder if there might be enough there at that point to give it to whoever played better coming down the stretch. Yeah, and it's important to remember too is it's a lot e- – not I don't know want to use the word easier, but it's more attainable – to go back-to-back here in these last two events because you start at 10 under par, the next guy starts at 8 under next week at the Tour Championship. Right. So if a guy in that top I don't know, 12-ish wins this week at the BMW Championship, they'll most likely vault themselves to number one or maybe number two um, in, that, in those standings and have a greater chance to win. So maybe if a guy like um, John Rahm, if a guy like Justin Thomas or Patrick Cantlay can win these last two events, it could be very well that they get player, the PJ Tour Player of the Year. It'd be interesting. I think it would also spark a debate about um, what player of the year encompasses and means now versus what it did uh, before the FedEx Cup playoffs. What do we got on the local golf side? We've got a couple recaps, right? Yeah, so we talked about the uh, New York State Amateur uh, happening last week. We got a winner, Charlie Barrage um, of Long Island was able to capture that when he broke the scoring record as he was able to shoot uh, fire four rounds under par and uh, take that victory over at Onondaga Golf and Country Club. So pretty cool for Charlie as he was able to kind of grab that victory and, and, and take it. That's his first. And they'll actually play next year at the 100th Men's Amateur. He'll be um, entered into that one due to winning this one at his home course in Long Island. So that's pretty really cool. cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And then the U.S. Men's Amateur is happening this week. It started last week. or started yesterday, excuse me. And uh, five guys tied at the top after one day at 68 playing the golf courses at Ridgewood Country Club and Arcola Country Club in New Jersey. So what they do is they have about, I think it's about a 360-player field, and they play 18 holes of stroke play yesterday and today, and each one play half the golf courses a day, and then they play um, match play the rest of the week, concluding with a 36-hole championship match on Sunday. So um, pretty cool to see match play being involved in that one. I know I've just kind of seen on Twitter that people are a little bit intrigued by how it's decided by match play. Um, even though we have a lot of the top guys on tour being decided with stroke play championships. Right. So I guess that can kind of spark a little bit of debate, but match play is always fun to watch. Well, and it's a, it, it, strategically, we both know we've played match play before. It, you know, it is a completely different ball of wax oh, than, sure. than playing stroke play. Um, but that's all we got for this week. Uh, you can drop the show line by emailing outofbounds at fingerlakes1.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and soon TikTok. The handle is outofbounds.com. 
FL1. We're also going to have details at the end of the week about the golf bag giveaway once our TikTok is live. We're working on that, though. Uh, so give us a follow. That's where we're going to drop the details. For Nate Sharman, I'm Josh Durso. And remember, whether it's down the middle or out of bounds, keep on swinging.